Welcome back to The Table Women, a podcast by and about women in the entertainment industry. I'm Sarah DeForce. And I'm Victoria Banks. We asked you for questions to use in our special Q&A episode to start the second half of season three, and boy, did we get them. Actually, we got so many that we had to record a double episode to answer them all. So here's Q&A episode one of two. You know the drill. Pull up a chair and get nice and comfy because everyone is welcome and everyone deserves a seat at the, the table. table. Do what you want, work what you got, say what you think and don't let them stop you. Stop you, don't, don't let them stop. Stop you, don't, don't let them stop you. Don't, don't let them stop. Don't, don't let them stop you. Welcome back to a special Q&A episode of The Table Women. We took a little holiday break and we are rejuvenated and we are back to business. The year has started. How was 2022? Your... I know. Whoa, 2022. Excited. It's been a little crazy ride from the start. May it be better than the last two years. <laughs> yes. How has your year been so far? Oh, good so far. But, you know, we've got the whole Omicron thing going on and Lord knows what's coming next around the corner. So at this point, we're just all really good at pivoting. Yes. <laughs> so we went ahead and asked you, our lovely listeners and followers, um, what you wanted to hear us talk about, questions you wanted us to answer, um, anything like that. And we got some really awesome submissions, some yeah. kind of lighter, fun ones, some really deep thinking questions. Um, and we're also at the end going to finally answer our own rapid fire questions because oh, we realized we that. have not done that this season. <laughs> yes, really me too. About that. They're hard. <laughs> I was so excited though because it's you know we took a, a month off for holidays and to rejuvenate and all that stuff, and mm -hmm. now we can kick it off with some deep questions. Yeah. Um, but do we want to start off with uh, one from Instagram? We'll go back and sure. forth. Um, we'll do some lighter ones and then some deeper Sure, ones. let's do Instagram. All right. So the first one that we have, um, what's your experience been like making the podcast? Which is, I think, a good one to start yeah. off. Uh, what do you think, Vic? Well, so um, I had, I, I don't know about you, Sarah, I don't think you had ever done a podcast before. No. I had certainly never done one. And we were like, sure, why not? Let's try. <laughs> um, we have no business doing this. That means let's do it. So yep. um, we, it's very much been learn as you go. And one yeah. of the hardest things about this for me has been listening back to myself yes. and realizing oh, yeah. The ways that I talk, and there are certain things that get really on my nerves um, that I say over and over again, or little mm -hmm. ticks that I have when I'm speaking, or I'll record one and it's very late at night after a long day, and I'll be like talking like this, and it drives me crazy. <laughs> so being the editor of the podcast, you know, I put uh, we record on Zoom, uh, so we we talk on Zoom, we connect on Zoom, but we mm -hmm. also record on Logic. So I have my own. Logic logic rig recording my voice sarah has her logic rig recording her voice and then whoever mm -hmm. our guest is will usually will ask them to record on their iphone um with just some earphones in so that it only mm -hmm. picks up their audio and then everything gets emailed to me and i dump it all into logic together and we line i line everything up and then i'll edit and sometimes there are things that i need to edit and when i i can go crazy editing myself <laughs> sometimes and i was doing yeah. that a lot at the beginning just because i was saying 
so many repetitive words and stuff. Um, I've tried to give myself some grace on that now. And I think that maybe I've learned a little bit more about how to talk on a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> it's definitely a learning curve. What about you, Sarah? I think that's so good. And I still have the same thing when I listen back, you know, on the edits before we finally upload. Um, I, I can definitely fixate on my stuff. And it's like, it doesn't matter at a certain yeah. point. Like you're the our, your biggest critic, but it, it's such a learning curve. Mm-hmm. And I think we've both gotten a lot better at, you know, pushing the conversation forward and not doing or saying certain things that are like nervous tics or just, you know, once you start it, you can't stop and you don't know why you're like aware you're doing it and you can't (laughs) stop anyways. Um, That used to happen to me occasionally during like uh, presentations at school and it was Mm -hmm. so funny. Um, Once you start thinking about it, you like make it worse. Um, I think for me, just like with you, like the bulk of your stuff is the editing, which is so time intensive and so detail oriented. For me, I think the hardest thing is on the flip side, handling most of the like the scheduling and the prep and putting the questions together and the research and then like uploading and stuff at the end. There's just a lot of details. And mm-hmm. so for me, it's... um it's making sure that I've checked all the boxes and like gone through and put the episode notes in there and like done all that. And I think it can be, um, especially this last season, we've, as life has gotten bigger, but also COVID keeps coming back in different ways, (laughs) but people are going out. Scheduling has really been difficult because we've had a lot of reschedules, which is totally okay. Um, but it means that you're constantly having to move stuff around and fit three schedules, if not more into the same, like one hour block. And then making sure that you, I've gathered everybody's information. And if they have a preference on photos and whatever, and, um, there's a lot of moving pieces. And I always think that the, the biggest thing for me is, um, making sure that I haven't accidentally dropped a ball because maybe I did it, but we rescheduled. So a month later, I don't know if they remember, um, you know, stuff like that. So that's been interesting. It's really been a lesson in organizing and having mm-hmm. the right things in the right place. Oh, you um, handle so much with this. I mean, it's a lot. From, from we, <laughs> we kind of put our heads together a little bit on planning the guests, but I mm-hmm. mean, you reach out, you let them know all the details of where to be and when to be there and how to do it. And you come up with the questions and, you know, the ones that we prep in advance anyway. And and you um, do all of the social media and... Shout out to my sister, Kimmy. She, Kimberly, she's an incredible graphic designer. I am not that talented. So <laughs> she is amazing helping with that. Yeah, so it's, it's a lot. And you really um, have put your heart and soul into this. So it's great. I mean, for me, it's just, I, I put it in logic and I edit, edit, mm-hmm. edit. And I, I have usually a one hour, um, one hour episode might take up to about four hours for me to edit, mm-hmm. depending on how much there is that needs to be cut or yeah. moved or changed. Um, so we try not to edit too heavily, but sometimes we have issues where, you know, you can hear the echo of one person across to the yeah. other person. And every time one person speaks, I have to mute everyone else and then go back <laughs> yeah. and mute everyone else. So that can, it ends up looking like yeah. a big chopped salad by the time I'm yeah. done. But, uh, and it's, yeah. I think it's, it's a testament to how good you are at that because it never feels like, I feel like sometimes podcasts and even, you know, TV shows or, or, um, YouTube videos can feel very choppy mm-hmm. and like they're intentionally curating the story right. and truly every single time I'm like oh I can't think of one thing that we talked about that like 
got cut out. We don't curate the story. We just try mm-hmm. and make the quality good. Yeah. And so I think that's a real testament to how good you are and how much you care about that because that is a big feat. And we talked about this as we started before we even launched. Okay, what are you good at? What do you want to do? What are mm-hmm. you good at? And I think it was such a blessing that <laughs> you were like, I can totally edit this, but I have kids and whatever. So I don't have time to do all the details. I was like, cool, I don't have kids or anything, but I don't want to edit audio. And it was perfect. Um, so, you know, it really worked out. And um, I'm curious because I find listening back that I feel this way and a little bit cringy in a very Mm -hmm. helpful um, manner but listening back to the early episodes I can definitely see in addition to the learning how to talk and learning how to interview people um, it has been a struggle sometimes for me to learn the difference between having an intellectual conversation and interviewing someone and I can also see you know We've both had such big life changes and grown immensely as creators in the last couple of years. I can also see sometimes in the earlier episodes when I'm trying to um, maybe trying a little too hard to be like, yeah, I understand that. Or yeah, let's tie it back here. And really now I'm like, oh man, I, I, you know, it's a little insecurity. And then you see that and you're like, oh wow, I don't feel that way, but it's so good. It's, it's, um, it's like listening back to your live performances and yeah, it's ch- like seeing capturing the little a moment in time, right? Mm-hmm. It's, you can hear yourself where when you listen back to the beginning, it's like, oh, but these little, like early in the pandemic babies talking yeah. about what, <laughs> what might come. Um, and and, mm-hmm. and it's like the world has been sort of catapulted forward into all these different things so quickly and mm-hmm. um, had to handle so many things that we've never really had to face before in the past couple of years. So two years in pandemic time has been many, many years of evolving and figuring things out for all of yeah. us. So it's kind of wild to listen back to the beginning. But um I'm grateful that we've had that we've been able to do this and had people willing to come on the podcast and share because one of the things that I find fun but also scary about what we do is like you were saying sometimes we get into a conversation and we'll just talk and you forget that anyone else is listening mm-hmm. and you'll just share your thoughts and your feelings and sometimes really private things and yeah. then afterwards I'll be going through in the edit and I'll be like whoa is that gonna go out into the world I guess I'm ready for it to go out into the world yeah. sure why not and for me it's made me a lot more transparent with um with the way that my mind works inside mm-hmm. and my experiences and in an industry where we're so concerned with how we look and how we come across that can be a sort of cringy thing to try and do. Yeah. <laughs> so oh, I'm yeah. proud of myself for doing that. <laughs> and I hope you are too, Sarah. I mean, we've I both am, yeah. shared a lot and so have our guests. Yeah. And I, I thank you for bringing that up because I think it's also so... I don't know how you feel about this because you started... I, I work more in pop now and you started out in country. You're still in country and have seen the industry evolve a lot more than I have. And I catch myself in conversations outside of this podcast with industry people, with writers, with everyday people. And I forget that either they're not writers or something whose job it is to feel and share our deepest secrets with strangers. (laughs) Or even if they are or they're in the industry, I forget that sometimes people are still 
lying to themselves or not ready to talk about things and not in like a, Ooh, let's bring this up, but I'll just share something. And someone will be like, I can't believe you just said that. Mm -hmm. Or, um, an industry person will be like, Oh, like, um, people shouldn't talk about that in the industry. I'm like, why? I would, mm-hmm. I would totally share what my yeah. salary is. I would totally say, you Me know, you too. should do this yeah. and not do that because, yeah. you know, but I forget that, you know, as someone who I just turned 25 and I was like, I forget that there's a history of this industry before when I remember. And so it, mm-hmm. it's an interesting, like, um, whatever the equivalent of like a culture shock is Mm -hmm. to be like oh not everyone is so open about this and then I'll have some random person I had someone the other day come up and be like oh my gosh I just listened to the anime episode Mm -hmm. because I like loved her as an artist and I it's so crazy to hear her thing and then I forget that people now also know like a lot about me (laughs) whether or not they want to (laughs) well I, I've always erred on the side of oversharing. Same. Not always, but I, I do now err on mm-hmm. the side of oversharing. And I think that it's, to me, it feels like my little way of changing the world for the better. Yes. I just believe that it changes the world for the better when we're more transparent with things. Mm-hmm. And a lo- secrecy can do a lot of damage. And we've seen secrecy do damage in lots of realms in life. We've seen it do damage in... Uh, you know, issues between the sexes, definitely um, sexual assault. Um, We've seen, you know, with discrimination, we've seen it cause problems with mental illness. Uh, Anytime there's secrecy and a taboo around something, it's usually a bad idea. You know, it's, it's creating problems. So I think it's better for us just to be a little more transparent with each other and let's face it, you know, we're all human. We all have our foibles and we all have our, our, um, moments of fear, our moments of feeling like we're not qualified to do what we're doing, our imposter syndrome, our, Mm -hmm. we're not good enough, all of that. I think just about everybody feels that. So if we can all share it, then we can all see it ourselves reflected in other people. And it's Mm -hmm. healthier that way. It's a healthier society, I believe anyway. And I I think it's, you're totally right. And and you were just talking and it made me think of a conversation I had just last week where it was so weird. It was like an out-of-body experience to see our impact with this Mm. firsthand in my own life because um, a newer friend of mine um, and I were driving um, somewhere and they'd listened to the podcast. We were talking about it, you know. And I knew that because of that, they felt comfortable asking me if I knew X, Y, Z person. And I I was like, I don't know them. I've heard of them. She was like, okay, well, I just want to like pass along. Like we talked about women in this industry, we have this kind of like underground railroad of communication and of stuff. (laughs) She was like, okay, well, like I have three friends immediately that told me they had a really scary, bad experience with this person. So I wanted to pass it along to you in case you ever, Mm -hmm. you know, get asked into a session with that person or whatever. And I was like, oh, wow, thank you so much. Cause I would not have guessed this person, you know, to the world is very, has a very squeaky clean, wholesome, mm-hmm. lovely image. Um, and the next day, a friend of mine was talking about people they were reaching out to and wanted to work with. And one of them was that person. And I mm-hmm. was like, hey, um, and she was like, that is so insane that, mm-hmm. that, and I want to be careful to say that, um, 
information should not be passed along just willy-nilly um Mm -hmm. there's you know discretion and you have to make sure that the information is correct but um i appreciated that person coming to me and warning me about something so i could make my own decision and be safe and me being able to do the same for a friend of mine and i know that that is a direct result of us talking about this stuff and making ourselves an open book so that other people don't have to but can hopefully maybe see a template of how to go about it well and respectfully and I think that was such a beautiful moment and I hope that like feels good for you too because I was like I am so proud if we even have like one situation where we can help someone have a good experience instead of a bad one um and that's so so great yeah let's go to the Facebook ones you got some good ones on Facebook oh yes okay so I got one this is interesting So I had uh, someone post, uh, he's a male artist, and he said, as a male artist, I've experienced the confusion that some female writers had when pitching to me. They have ideas like, I would not want to sing about being emotional, vulnerable, accountable, etc. There are amazing songs written by females and performed by males and vice versa. What is your perspective as a female artist and a songwriter who has written for males? So the the men writing for women, the women writing for men, that is such an interesting thing. And this, Mm -hmm. I mean, gosh, we talk about this in the industry so much when you're dealing with pitching songs, especially uh, to, um, to an artist. And you might have a female songwriter that's pitching to a male or vice versa. So I can say that probably the, my beginning in this business, my first foothold in this business is due to the perception or was due to the perception that men could not write well for women. Mm-hmm. Um, because it was the late 90s, there were a lot of women that were doing really well on country radio and m- most publishers in town didn't have... I mean, they may have had one woman or or no women on their roster. And so I was in the right place at the right time for doing what I was doing. And everybody said, oh, she she writes for women. We can pitch to these women. Um, And so Mm -hmm. I think that gave me more of a shot to get my first publishing deal. Now, as time has gone on and the tables have turned and men have become the primary radio play um, in country music and women went pretty much away for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, then part of the part of the conversation became, how do we make your voice, Victoria? How do we make your ability to write work for men? And so mm-hmm. it became, we need to put you in the room with men in order to capture the voice of what a man will say. And there's very much a opinion in and it's not just among songwriters but it's really inside the industry uh when you're pitching songs that certain types of words certain types of melodies are more feminine than mm-hmm. masculine for artists um so for instance uh if you look at who is singing what on country radio you might find quite a few men who are who are wanting to look a little more swaggery, a little more, mm-hmm. um, you know, the the aggressor or the cool dude. And 
would not use a word like um, butterfly or rainbow or, you know, mm-hmm. would not maybe admit that their heart had been broken in a tender way or, mm-hmm. you know, although you have... Or if they do, the, it's it's going to be a drinking and going drinking out and hooking of, up yeah. song. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like there's different facets of country though, right? Because so the bro country was very much that swagger. And mm-hmm. then you had like the boyfriend country come in, which had more of the tender side. And now we're seeing a little bit more of that now. Um, and a little more sort of melodic almost feminine melodies like you think about some something someone like Dan and Shay mm-hmm. um yes but for a long time we were dealing with bro country and that was it as far as what would make us money so mm-hmm. we had to figure out how to write within that box of what was expected and I've never done a good job of that I've tried I've tried and I've worked with a lot of different male songwriters to try and get that voice right and I think I can sort of get that voice now but I can't do it as well as Craig Wiseman can because he Mm -hmm. speaks that way and he sort of lives that way so um, my songs just never really beat out anyone else when they were being pitched in that capacity and all of my success really has come from songs that were from either a female perspective or kind of a feminine sounding perspective if you look at it in those traditional ways so um eventually i just kind of surrendered to it and was like i just need to write what i write and let it find its way to who can cut it and if that's women then that probably means i'm not going to make as much money because of the way the industry is structured right now and i won't get the radio play that i would if i was pitching male songs to men but I just got to do what I do and let the pendulum swing around out there. However, it swings around. If it maybe it'll land on me eventually, and yeah. and so it kind of has with the Mickey Guyton stuff that that I've been writing with her. So yeah, yeah. What about you, Sarah? I agree. I think, and I I love that he's presenting this question from like a why do you think women don't want don't think that I don't. Why do you yeah. think women think that I don't want to be don't emotional? Want, so, yes. And I, the first time I read that question, I actually read it wrong the way that it was phrased. My brain thought, why are they pitching me emotional songs? Because mm. I don't want to be emotional. And then when mm. you read it out loud, I was like, oh, I read that wrong. Yeah. So even right there, there's like a, a subconscious <laughs> because yes. I am used to, I am. I think it's a really interesting thing where you can flip what you just talked about as an answer to his question. Mm-hmm. Because when women are so used to being put in that box of women only have XYZ voice and they only use these words and these melodies. And even when men are pitching to us, it's very, um, it can often be informed by what men think women want or think women feel or have been told by the business side cells as opposed yeah. to what women actually want and think and feel and what women actually want to hear on the radio. Case mm-hmm. in point, ballads don't sell. Well, what about Carly Peterson, Taylor Swift, and Mickey yeah. Guyton and all and this stuff? And pretty much every song of the year. Exactly. <laughs> for- exactly. And yet we have all the data and yet the industry doesn't want to let go of that. So I think you can flip it to the other side and say women are probably, I can speak from my experience of, um, I don't write a lot of bro country and I don't write a lot of, um, specifically like country for men. And I, when I do it well, it is with men who are like, I want to talk about getting my heart broken. Mm -hmm. I want to be vulnerable or I want to talk about like having fun. I've done some, um, 
a, a handful of great like more fun and easy bro country but it's mm-hmm. been more of like oh that was just the perfect session it's not like a staple yeah. um and so i am used to most of the time when i go into those sessions men saying i don't want to talk about that or i just want to talk about it if it's going to be a drinking song or a um or a hookup song or a swaggery song and so i think i think you may at least at the moment be more of an outlier which is amazing mm-hmm. we need those yes. they also are probably used to going in and pitching their emotional songs and having them get shot down because they're not quote unquote manly and so mm-hmm. they're just like you know labels get pitched what people think their artists would cut um mm-hmm. they're probably trying to give you know you what they think you're and so i would say maybe um, tell them ahead of time, hey, I want the emotional songs. Yeah. I want the deep songs. I want to talk about X, Y, Z. I'm happy for you to pitch me the other songs, but I just want you to know that I'm open to this. Because I yeah. think, you know, women too have been given such a small box to fit in and so little chances mm-hmm. that very often we are shown that if we don't fit the mold, don't bother. And so, you know, that's changing, but I think that's, in my experience and opinion, that's probably why, because they're also used to, you know, being told if you're gonna write for men, then you gotta, you know, leave your women stuff at the door, um, which is so binary. I would think in in the same way that we need representation, especially on country radio right now, of the... Uh, more mature feminine voice that's mm-hmm. missing yes the the leanne womack the faith hill the you know um the martina mcbride the sarah evans that that mature feminine voice uh is not well represented on the on the same coin is there's a lack of um this sort of sentimental sensitive male not just boyfriend country but mm-hmm. like the mature male that that explores those things as well so i think back to the 90s and i think about uh well brian white comes to mind right away Mm -hmm. he had some such beautiful songs and so tender and colin ray had some tender beautiful songs um i think about like brian white you know i guess i must be wishing on someone else's star and who would sing that now which guy that you hear on country radio at least would sing that now and i feel like there's a big missing section of representation in the male voice like there is in the female voice as well mm-hmm. absolutely and think about it i i think you know to people even if you're not musical creators think about it from the terms of you know the business is very unwilling to spend money on what they in their opinion can't guarantee will sell and mm-hmm. so they once bro country hit they're like all right we're gonna do this now we have the data to know that ballads work and so but we're still gonna cling to this i mm-hmm. um, i always describe it as like think about lady gaga when she came out everyone like that's never gonna work that's never gonna happen she's wearing a meat dress she's <laughs> in like two foot platforms like in an egg and she hit and then what did you see every single artist knew already established whatever try and recreate their own version of that because they and the industry had turned her down a million times said this will never work this is too weird whatever and it just took one person to be like yeah let's go for it and then you see this whole thing so i think hopefully we can swing that pendulum back around and we but we need one or two or however artists just like you lovely listener who asked the question to be like i'm gonna cut these songs and i'm gonna do it well and i'm gonna put it out and hopefully once we get those 
Gaga-like lightning strides, we can bring that back around and people will will be cutting those songs because I privately have heard so many male writers at writer's rounds and in the room playing me new songs that they wrote for fun or publishers playing me their favorite songs. There are those songs out there. Mm -hmm. They're just not getting cut. And a lot of it is a lot of lack of um, money and industry support behind what they think is guaranteed not to sell. Yeah, Um, yeah. Change comes from people being themselves and from artists being themselves and expressing themselves, whether that fits with what's out there or not. And if you do that and hold that as your compass, then if, if you do it well and it catches on, then the whole ship turns in your direction and you start being part of the paradigm of how things are done. So, um, we're, we're seeing that with lots of different people, but it's always, it always seems to come from, it's not like I'm going to manufacture this, you know, it's come, Mm -hmm. it's from, I feel this way. This is who I am. I'm going to be me, whether it fits or not. And, um, yeah, that's, that's pretty cool to see. And it's empowering to see, because it's like, if you want to change the world, be you, that's how you change the world. Right. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. I love this question. I love that it got, gave us the chance to answer both sides. Um, and it makes me think of, I hope this will be a decent parallel just for everyone to maybe think about things a little bit deeper. All these questions that we have on the surface um, where we may not think a little deeper to see why this is happening. Um, I saw a TikTok the other day of a woman uh, responding to a video a guy made. And he was like, it was a joke. It was like a funny video. And it was really funny. He was like, women, why do you like to take showers and baths that are lava hot? Like, why is it so scorching hot? And it's totally true. Most of us love boiling water. It's amazing. Um, <laughs> I'm guilty of that. Me too. Um, yeah, right? it's amazing. And then this woman stitched a video and it was something that I thought about a little bit, but I hadn't thought about it this deeply and it was really really cool it made my mind just kind of like bust open into thinking about everything like this Mm. and she was like I love this video and it's so funny but let's actually like actually take his question seriously and think about why we tend to like this Um, and she was like well if you think about it women biologically our temperature we get cold easier like our men have physically hotter temperatures um, and they're also physically larger and have more body mass to keep them warm usually but also um, shout out to patriarchy the workplace was mostly a male dominated place and so the ac and temperatures were set to your hotter bodies and when women come in we are both cooler but we also are required to wear less clothes or tights instead of pants or tank tops instead of full-on shirts and suit jackets and so we are cold and then we're extra cold because we can't wear clothes like Mm -hmm. you so that's why your grandma is wearing a sweater in summer or why the the woman at the desk next to you who has your same job has a heater when you're like oh my god i'm so Mm -hmm. hot rolling up my sleeves (laughs) and you know all this stuff and she was like so all of these little parts of society are geared towards men. Anywhere we go, we're cold because the AC is set to what men find comfortable. Mm -hmm. And if men are hot, it's like, oh my God, turn the AC up. But if women are cold, it's like, put a sweatshirt on. Like we're going to leave it the same way. What what an interesting perspective. Right? And so she was like, you know, just think about that like when we're getting home we're just trying to warm up we're just trying to get hot like there's a lot more temperature difference to make up for um and I thought that was so interesting because it's like that's 
so true like think about yeah. men going out in pants and a shirt and we're like in our little dresses and our heels and our like if we have yes. tights um you know there's a video going around of cardi b going like um i forget what she said but she was like um thoughts don't get cold or something you know ah. basically like you're gonna go out and weather whatever and it it was just like a funny video but it it that woman describing that in detail and talking about the societal structures and everything made me mm-hmm. um, want to look at everything like that. And so I think, you know, to those questions too, like let's dig a little deeper and see why, you know, as opposed to just thinking that women don't think that you are or want to be emotional, which I don't mm-hmm. think that's what you were insinuating. Um, but sometimes people do think that let's dig a little deeper and say, all right, well, what's the life view there that may have made them think that that is what mm-hmm. I wanted. So that, makes me think of and we talked about this over text briefly sarah Mm -hmm. but the conversation about taylor swift who um an artist named damon albarn had posted or no he was on a um podcast right an interview on a podcast and he had claimed that Taylor does not write her own songs. And in the and podcast, I think, um, sorry to cut you off. I no, think go ahead. that they um, they did correct him, I believe. And mm-hmm. they were like, she actually does write her own songs. And then he dug, he, he doubled, doubled down. down and he said, <laughs> yeah, well, like she co-writes and I've been in co-writes with people. And, and it's not the same. Basically insinuating that she's there in the session to be able to claim that she writes her own songs, mm-hmm. but doesn't actually contribute anything of significance right um, but th- but then he turned around and said billy eilish is great though and she's a great writer it's like okay and he mentioned her writing with her, her brother phineas or her brother yes yeah. so uh that i had an interesting conversation about this with my husband this morning mm. because he was looking at it and he was like well was the dude he just kind of comes across like a troll like who thinks that about taylor Swift? that's weird like it doesn't like looking at the conversation it doesn't look mm-hmm. like he was it just seems that's a very weird thing to say and i was like I think that it's not so much about this particular conversation and looking at it and saying, did he really mean that? Was he right or mm-hmm. wrong? But the the reason why this has become such a, a an explosive moment in pop culture and with Taylor responding to it the way that she did, saying, you know, I was such a big fan of yours till I saw this. I write all my own songs. You're hot take is completely false and so damaging you don't have to like my songs but it's really effed up to try and discredit my writing wow you know so that was her Mm -hmm. response and i was like i think the the reason why there's such a reaction to this is because people do cut down taylor swift all the time Mm -hmm. she is a great songwriter she doesn't get credit for being a great songwriter she's a great business person but instead of being considered a business person people attack her for being annoying Right. Yeah. Or for so dating people. For dating people. So th- she's she's scrutinized and cut down in these ways. And, and you, I mean, she says it so well in her um, song with Phoebe Bridgers, Nothing New, where she talks mm-hmm. about, you know, they encourage you to fly when you're young and then you go fly and then they like shoot you down and they criticize you for how you do it. Mm-hmm. And it, this is, uh, I think, an issue that's related to the fact that she's a woman and the fact that when you see a a strong powerful woman like wielding her power then it gets interpreted as annoying it gets Mm -hmm. interpreted as aggressive overreaching um and 
you see a woman exploring her sexuality and that that gets cut down as oh she's dating everybody oh she's you know talking too much about her relationships that kind of thing and then and then discrediting her writing is kind of another one of those things like yes she she co-writes and yes she has co-written a lot of songs over the years not all of her songs are Mm co-written but um there's a learning curve to songwriting yes she probably did learn some of how she writes from co-writing but everything that she releases is so tailor yeah that you can tell that she is in it and There's all the over stamp it. of her yeah yes. even when so, she's not the one cutting it yeah so it's kind of ridiculous to make this argument but really it's it it just kind of is indicative of an an underlying issue with society and how we look at women who are successful and powerful and how we talk about women who are successful and powerful so yeah, that's what I, I think about it anyway. I loved that whole article. And I love that she's speaking up for herself because mm-hmm. also she, after her first album, she spoke about this. I don't know if it was in one of the Twitter responses or something else, but she was like, um, you know, after my first album, people said the same thing. She They tried mm-hmm. to cut my success down by minimizing my, con- my contribution to my own art. And mm-hmm. she was like, so you know what I did? I wrote Fearless, the entire album, all by myself. Yeah. All yeah. of those songs she wrote by herself. Mm-hmm. And, you know, after she did that, there was something else to cut down. And, um, and it's so interesting that people because also co-writing is its own art some people are not good at it Mm -hmm. and when you're not good at it it takes away from your art often Mm -hmm. um and it's a learned skill just as much as it doesn't mean you have to co-write but that is a skill that every creator should have in their back pocket just like solo writing is something every creator should have in their back pocket and Everything is not always as it seems when you look at song credits, when you look at whatever, because there are situations, especially being in pop more and and her residing in that space, I will write entire songs by myself, but need to get it produced and take Mm -hmm. it to get produced. And that producer will then have writer credit, even though I lyrically and melodically wrote the entire thing quote unquote, by myself. I made a voice memo of me singing acapella, sent it over. There's Mm -hmm. that. There's also um, stuff that you run across real occasionally. Someone who pitches a song and gets it cut will in exchange get writer credit or Mm -hmm. publishing credit. And Mm -hmm. so they could not have contributed a a single thing to the actual thing, but they will still get credit on the split so there's it becomes not... the whole team of people involved exactly. in the song along the yeah. way yeah and definitely if you are not strong in your sense of who you are as an artist and strong in your ability to communicate as a co-writer then writing with a ton of different people is going to get you pulled around by your tail so no yeah. two things are going to sound the same and that certainly has not happened in her career so yeah, she exactly. just has a tailor thing that she does and it has mm-hmm. transcended and it's woven through every type of genre she's explored so yeah. um absolute props to taylor i really respect her as an artist and mm-hmm. you know I'm, I'm teaching songwriting at belmont university now and i have to say Woo. that a huge huge majority of the students that i'm teaching count her as one of their main influences for yes. why they wanted to become a songwriter and I, most of my students are also women 
So Mm -hmm. uh, it has been incredibly empowering for young women to see someone who was able to use her voice and grow into the the massive artist that Taylor has grown into. And I just think she's planted so many seeds in uh, talk about changing the world that has changed the world. So um, I'm grateful to her for for doing that. It can't be easy. It can't be Mm -hmm. easy to live her life and to be under the scrutiny that she's under. Um, It must be it must be very lonely um, yeah. to to be in that position, but I'm I'm grateful that she has dedicated her life to her art in that way, and that she does it as a savvy businesswoman. Yeah, um, she's not anybody's puppet, so um, that's inspiring as a woman to see. Yeah, and she, speaking of, if anyone's seen Miss Americana, her documentary, even that section of her going. I know the industry says that you can't be political, but I need to speak out for Mm -hmm. what I believe in. And people telling her that that, you know, she's doing that more and more and more every single time we see her. And anyone who says that it's going to kill her career, it's the opposite. It just brings her to a new level. Mm -hmm. She's using her power to help get songwriters better splits on streaming, better, you know, everything. And so I think that's so interesting. And it also Mm -hmm. made me want to ask, because I don't know if you're aware of this going on. Again, TikTok, I'm not going to let it go, guys, so don't ask. Um, But um, a publisher friend of mine and I were hanging out a couple weeks ago, and then a day later, I saw a TikTok about one of their artists, and this artist is currently number one Billboard song. They're going crazy, and they're so talented. This person has been around for years and years and years. Um, And, uh, but like has happened on musical TikTok, there are some trolly people Mm -hmm. who have made it their entire brand, their entire account to look at creators, music creators specifically, and go, do you know this person? Well, do you know they're an industry plant? And here's why. And they go through their whole thing. And it's happened to a handful of Nashville artists that have gone viral, um, as well as plenty, plenty, plenty of other artists that have gone viral. Um, and I sent her this and I was like, it's a song spiracy about your artist. And um, because this guy was very conspiracy theory like in front of his mic going, do you know this person? So um, they wrote a song and I believe the song is, uh, well, I'll just say who it is. Um, Gail. She's amazing. She has a song called ABCDEFU went crazy. Mm, um, yes. It's oh, she's so talented and she's been around Nashville for years Mm -hmm. for years. I've been seeing her. She has always been that badass that talented just amazing and um, (laughs) and this guy was like, well, you know this artist in this song. Well, actually we've been thinking that her rise to fame has been authentic, but really if you look back at a live this person commented, she was asking what, I guess, I didn't follow the specifics at the time before the song was written, but he was like, she wrote it and asked what people wanted her to write a song about. And someone said something about like the alphabet or whatever. And he was like, well, but if you look at the account that suggested it, it's private. But if you look up the name, you find that they work at Atlantic Records. And who is this artist signed with? Atlantic Records. It's a plant. And it's like, do you not think that artists can be genuine friends with the people on their team but also can you not think that the people on the team are mad fans of these artists and engage because I just like you said so many of your students are inspired by Taylor Swift I've met so many people 
in the industry that are like, oh my God, Taylor Swift's the reason I, I became a publisher, mm-hmm. the reason yeah. I became AR, and now I like work on her team. Mm-hmm. Or same thing with so many people, like, I used to go to this guy's concert and now I'm helping manage his calendar. It's insane. <laughs> like these people are just fans. And yep. don't you want to be signed with someone who's a genuine fan of yours? Yeah. And so, you know, he was trying to propose this idea that <laughs> she was really just a industry which is like is a thing but not really a thing you know just like the backstreet boys in one direction those were industry plans like they were (laughs) sourced and created for a topic and then put out into the world and pushed you know like the the, everything's Mm. an industry plant if you look at it like that (laughs) every single thing is and i know and i think there's this misconception that people with deals or with success have everything made like the doors are open i know so many people with deals where it's just like their stuff's not hitting and so they went to tiktok and blew up because they're you know they weren't you know that's what they needed and so i think it's so funny in the same way people think you know taylor swift doesn't write her stuff or there's this conspiracy about like why she's so successful because she deserves it just mm-hmm. like these artists they're they yeah. may be signed but that doesn't mean they're guaranteed success and they no, make success and it's, themselves it's, people have a funny perception that you've got it made when you have a record deal boy oh boy you get your it record deal that's when your work starts holy cow yeah. and we have this thing in the industry we call it the artist protection plan it's <laughs> it's like if you are you can you can be signed to a to a label and just be never heard from again. You know, yeah. it's like you go into the artist protection shelved. plan forever. And yep. um, and this has happened to many of my friends. So mm-hmm. nothing is guaranteed and you certainly may not have much of an income either. So, the, yeah. you know, you might be working down at the mall or waiting tables at the same time as you have a major label record deal and are trying to get a first single to hit. Yeah. Um, so it's, yeah, it's, it's a tough biz. You definitely... Mm-hmm. You definitely have to navigate a lot of things to to get to the point where you're successful. And then when you get successful, it's a balancing act to figure out how to maintain it. I mean, that's if anyone loves Jojo, I love Jojo. She's amazing. She got signed at 1213, had some hits, got shelved for 10 years. Yeah. Couldn't get out of her deal. And now the everyone's like, where'd she go? She just came back out of nowhere. It's because she got out of her deal. She's not shelved anymore. Um, she's not in the protection plan anymore, but, um, so let's all take this as a sign to look a little deeper into everything that we question about everything, um, and think about it wholeheartedly from all perspectives. So thank you for that question. That is amazing. Yeah. All right. And we will see you next time. See you next time. To stay up to date on all things, the table on social media, join us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at the handle at sign the table women. Our theme song, Stop You, is written and performed by yours truly, Sarah DeForest, co-written by Taylor Foley and Will Macbeth, and produced by Will Macbeth. And as always, we'll include links to any creatives, music, television, etc. referenced in this episode in the episode notes. We'll see you next time on The The Table. Do what you want, work what you got, say what you think, and don't let them stop you. Stop you, don't let them stop. Stop you, don't let them stop.